0: Hi, everybody. This is Anne Louise Gittleman, First Lady of Nutrition, on my First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And it's an absolute pleasure to have Dr. Stuart Nunnally and his wonderful partner, Dr. Lane Freeman, with me today. And I just want you to know that they are my personal biological dentists. Dr. Nunnally is board certified in naturopathic medicine and is certified in integrative biological dentist medicine. He serves on the teaching faculty of the Academy of Comprehensive Integrative Medicine. In the American College of Integrative Medicine and Dentistry. And he treats patients from all 50 states and 55 countries. And his lovely, lovely partner, Dr. Lane Freeman, is an accredited member of the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. She's a member of the American Institute of Implant Dentistry, the American Dental Association, and the Heart of Texas Dental Association. So with their vision and that of the entire staff, they exceed each patient's expectations every single time, and I know that because I am one of their patients. So welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast, lady and gentleman.
1: Well, thank Thank you. you. What a treat for us to be here with you today, Ann Louise.
0: Now, I met you, Dr. Nunley, and I met Dr. Freeman at the same time many years ago when I had my issue with my teeth because I had suffered a concussion, I lost several teeth, several teeth became loosened in their crowns, and I did a number of dental procedures. But what I'd like you to start with, because I think this is gonna be most most enlightening to most of our listeners, is why root canals can be toxic. Would you like to start, Dr. Nunnally?
1: You bet. Um... And the the interesting thing is, Anne Louise, that there's a whole new body of research that's come on the scene just within the last five or six years. By the way, uh, we have uh, put into capsule form much of that research on our website. It's on a research page or a research tab, so your listeners could go to that and see I've basically, my partners and I have summarized that into about two and a half pages, instead of reading through volumes and volumes of literature. So, and basically here's what the literature states. Um, root canal treated teeth, uh, although they can certainly relieve the pain from a tooth and many people seem to tolerate them very well. Um, the problem is, and everyone, even in mainstream media, will, will attest to the fact that you cannot get a root canal sterile. So when the root canal procedure is done, Uh, The dentist does his best to remove the bacteria, and then he fills the tooth with a particular filling material. Unfortunately, some bacteria are left behind. And now, because the root canal procedure uh, renders the tooth dead, or it's just completely non-vital, now you have a dead entity in the body, and that entity is filled with bacteria. And there's nothing bacteria love more than to be in a nice, warm environment and not have any way for the body to deliver its defense mechanisms to it. So you have this warm incubator for the bacteria. The body can't bring its own white blood cells and all the other defense mechanisms to it. And so the the bacteria become a problem. and And not only they become a problem. But the toxins they produce probably even more so. Those toxins are insidious; they tend to um, they tend to migrate to other areas of the body. And now, uh, within the last few years, those toxins have been well identified and they're talked about in the literature. So, and they're interestingly enough, and Louise, of course, we know and we've known for years that you are much more predisposed to cardiovascular incident. You were more uh, predisposed to stroke if you had infected teeth, dead teeth. But now we know also that these teeth and the toxins that they produce can certainly contribute to autoimmune diseases. They can certainly contribute to depression and the depth of depression. Um, The list goes on and on. In fact, uh, for those of your listeners who are really interested i've created a list uh in that in that summary of all the impact that root canals can have so um it's 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 something that we none of us really wants to admit because no one wants to lose a tooth who wants to lose a tooth for pete's sake but um sometimes we have to choose losing a tooth over um being ill and so uh, it's a tough choice to make, but I think I, in my own case, I would always choose health um, over keeping a tooth.
0: Question Where can people find the literature? Would you tell us about your website from the get go? What is the website? Okay.
1: Well, certainly, yes. It's a Healthy Smiles for Life, Healthy Smiles for com. And, um, that website will have a, a research tab that the patients can click on and it'll, and it'll give the the uh it'll give not only the summary that we have but it'll also give a list of references
0: excellent but my my question to you is and then maybe perhaps Dr. Freeman can answer this what kind of bacteria are we looking at? Are you talking about strap are you talking about Staff? Or are you talking about any other variety in between? And of course, the metabolites, I would imagine, of the bacteria can also be very toxic.
2: Well, you're talking about all of the above. Um, just, that, that's just a wow. short list um, based on uh, what we see when uh, we see the analysis on these. And I think that was, Dr. Lane, as you mentioned, you know, he, he's made a list of the top ones that we see that you can see available uh, also on on the website, but everybody's individual that we definitely get back, uh, see a lot of those that are common with the uh, strep and staph strains, Uh, clostridium shows up as well. Uh, But then, you know, there are some patients who really just have a a out of the blue group of bacteria uh, that is completely um, an independent uh, look at their mouth and what their, their systems have been trying to tolerate.
0: Uh, it's unbelievable. So, wh- so what are the options? If you don't want to have your your a root canal tooth, then what, what are the options? You can have the tooth pulled, you can have a bridge, you can have an implant, and then what are the downsides of all of those, pray tell?
2: Well, that would definitely be a conversation that we have with each and every patient that comes in this office, whether they come in with an infected tooth that doesn't already have a root canal, but that is definitely dead and infected, or if they um, arrive here and they already have one or multiple uh, root canals in their mouth, we're gonna have that conversation about that there isn't any way to revitalize that tooth. Unfortunately, we can't uh, make those teeth uh, vital again. And we know even in the medical community, we know that dead, any t- kind of dead tissue is not compatible with healthy living tissue. So unfortunately, it does leave us with the only option to eliminate that is to remove that tooth uh, where the issue is. And then you do have multiple options depending on where it is in the mouth and what the teeth are like around it um, definitely sometimes it's an option just to do nothing other times it's a good option to do something that's a removable option something that comes in and out and is very conservative uh, and then other times it, it works well to do a bridge where you anchor to other teeth and then sometimes for some patients um, a biocompatible zirconia non-metal implant would be a good option to look at so it, it, it's, it's very individualized based on the patient but there are always options um, obviously the downside is that you're missing a tooth at this point. No one, you know, wants to do that. That's definitely our, our last resort. But when that when we come to that point, uh, then we do have options for replacing that. We can we can go over that.
0: And so that's very fascinating. Having lost a couple of teeth in my day, I, I quite understand how individualized that becomes. Do you find that there are more there's more prevalence of certain disease conditions and autoimmune illnesses depending upon the tooth that it may have a root canal?
1: I think again um, that that so varies with um, from patient to patient. There are many clinics you know around the world, Anne Louise, who will not accept a cancer patient into their clinic until they've had their root canal uh, treated teeth removed. They feel like that's too big yeah, they feel like it's too big of an obstacle. Um, there are also many, many uh, very well-known and well-respected uh, physicians who are at the forefront of treating autoimmune disease in the world who would who would absolutely uh, want to have uh, their patients have their root canal treated teeth removed because uh, in my opinion, at least certainly in the patient group that we see, uh, our patients. It's very rare that we see a patient who doesn't have a degenerative disease, and typically it's an autoimmune disease or cancer. And so, um, to say that one person or another is more um, is more susceptible to any of those diseases is hard to say because we see such a, a wide variety of degenerative illness. I would say when I see a patient. Who has an autoimmune issue like lupus, rheumatoid, um, MS? Um, oh, goodness, there's so many. Uh, uh, one of the, of course, they've all been referred here because their physician is concerned about their teeth. I just can't tell you how often we see a patient treat the tooth, treat, treat the tooth or teeth, remove the diseased area of the mouth and how often they improve dramatically. It happens time and time again.
0: I love that, but here's the question. Could people not be even suffering from any, I mean, I mean, you, you don't see what's going on under the tooth. Uh, maybe you can't see the infection per se. Do you have people that have no idea that there's an infected tooth living in their uh, mouth? Absolutely. They feel no pain?
2: Absolutely. I would say probably more than half the time um, it it is acting as like a silent disease. Uh, I would say uh, definitely more than half of our patients, uh, we discover these infections uh, by examining their x-rays. And one of our best tools is a a 3D cone beam x-ray because it allows us to look all around the roots and and at the teeth in a a much more detailed way. And we are able to find infections that might have been hidden otherwise from a Conventional two-dimensional X-ray, uh, but that is uh, many times the case where there is no pain at all, and the patient wasn't even aware that there was an issue, that there was a drain on their immune system from this uh, chronic infection they were fighting.
0: See, that's what I find of- so 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 interesting is that it becomes a silent disease because you can't. You can't really feel it which makes it quite difficult for those of us that are integrative nutritionists to tell all of our clients that have unresolvable conditions and these mystery illnesses that the problem may be living in their mouth and it's all in their head you know the way our dear friend dr hal huggins uh, once said so that becomes exactly. a, little bit of a hard sell unless you do that 3d conax right but you do beyond all that you you also have other alternative therapies you don't just pull a tooth or uh, you know, willy-nilly, you use other therapies like ozone, if I'm not mistaken, and you do PRP. Can you explain how that comes into play?
1: Sure. And uh, just to follow up, too, on, on Lane's comment and, and your comment that so many times um, there's no pain associated with these um, infections Worldwide, and Louise, and there have been 17 studies done now in 16 countries using cone beam technology where cone beams have been used to look at thousands and thousands of people who have root canal treated teeth. Um, worldwide, in those 17 studies, 40% of the root canal treated teeth had blatant infections. They had, in other words, they had blatant what are known as chronic apical periodontitis, or lesions at the tip of the roots, that any dentist would, if they saw, would say that they would say to the patient, "Gosh, you've had a, you have an infection here." Unfortunately, those go undiagnosed most of the time because they um, because they're typically not painful, and so that's 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 the problem. Now, your follow-up question was. Could you repeat again?
2: Oh, it was. It was. What do we do? What are the additional uh, techniques that we use? As oh, yeah. Out?
1: Well, um, uh, you mentioned ozone, and ozone is certainly one of those things that we just could not live without in our practice. It's such a fabulous adjunct. It, there's there's hardly anything um, more effective in terms of eliminating infection and inflammation. The nose is ozone. It's what our own body uses. Our own white cells spit out a little ozone when they see a foreign invader, and they help. that helps to neutralize the invader. So uh, ozone is one of the things that we love. We love high doses of vitamin C, and uh, interesting, uh, vitamin C is an antioxidant, and ozone is a pro-oxidant. So how would those work? Well, they both have they both have similar mechanisms, quite frankly, even though they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. But those are both wonderful therapies. And then we like other therapies as well in terms of adjusting the meridians so that uh, the flow of energy returns through these vital organs, especially those that are associated with teeth. So we have acupressures, three acupressures on our staff that help to reestablish that. And then um, we can go on and on about the adjunctive therapies that we use, but those are three of the main ones.
0: So beyond beyond root canals, which are so toxic with 40% of your individuals, and it may be toxic to everybody given enough time, what happens with individuals that have their teeth pulled? Can there be problems with that in the remaining meridian or the remaining jawbone?
2: Uh, well, you know, it with the teeth that, you know, when we feel like when we use our protocols and we properly clean out those uh, extraction sites after the tooth is removed, we remove any residual infection and, and remove the ligament. And then using the ozone and the platelets that we place in there, we feel like we're setting up the body with a great um, healing site where it can begin to to fill that in properly with bone. Now, another uh, thing we look at though is teeth that have been removed possibly in the past and and possibly haven't been uh, cleaned out correctly. And in those cases, you can end up with an area called a cavitation, which would uh, kind of be similar to a cavity, but it would be a cavitation in the bone in a site where a tooth was previously extracted. And the most common place we see that is, would be where wisdom teeth were extracted. And perhaps you know ju- the tooth was just removed and, and no cleaning was done, or perhaps the patient ended up with a dry socket and the, the blood flow was from the very beginning um, compromised in that area. So you can have those areas in the bone where it doesn't heal properly on the inside, uh, but on the outside, everything looks like it's healed over. Once again, um, those usually don't have symptoms for the most part, but it can be a similar setup to what you have inside a root canal where you have um, dead bone that doesn't quite heal properly. You have sluggish or non-existent blood flow and uh, bacteria, once again, love that type of environment. So they set up there, we would find a similar population of bacteria in a root canal as you would find in a cavitation. So when we find those, uh, also it's very useful to have a three-dimensional x-ray to look at those with, we would then make a little entry into those sites and clean those out so that you can re-establish a good healthy healing site using ozone and, and platelets once again, after the dead tissue's been cleaned out.
0: And, and so if somebody gets a, uh, an implant, are there concerns with the implant, do you think, in terms of the material? And I, I know a little bit about this because I'm going to be having two implants but most people use titanium. Do you find that that's an allergic producing substance, a sensitivity provoking substance for many people, particularly those with autoimmune
2: concerns? Well, definitely every patient is, is individual. And, we, and I, I tell every patient that when we're talking about the possibility of using implants, um, the concept of implants is is wonderful to be able to replace a, a root, the, the concept there is, is is wonderful. The problem with implants is that it is still um, a foreign substance. It's not you. It's not your tooth. It's not it's not anything that's come from you, and so the body is going to recognize that as that it is not you. Now I have a lot of patients that in the past have had titanium implants and um, have not had any apparent issues with that. But now we have something uh, that's better from a biocompatibility standpoint, and that would be zirconia implants. So um, whenever we are looking and, and thinking that a patient it's an appropriate time for them to look at doing an implant, their immune system um, is at a stable and strong place, and we we feel like that particular patient could handle an implant, then I would normally recommend zirconia. It is newer. However, it's been in Europe uh, and being used in Europe for over 30 years um, and has been approved in the United States since about 2007. And then subsequently more and more companies are are catching on that, hey, you know, people are looking for non metal uh, alternatives and implants and so therefore that really has driven the market and giving us a lot more options with zirconia implants just becoming better and better um, as far as great options for our patients when it's appropriate for that patient.
0: Interesting, interesting as as I prepare for my two zirconia implants it sounds like a wonderful uh, opportunity. Well my understanding is if you're missing teeth And tell me what, what, you know, this goes beyond the biological aspect, and we're talking a little bit now about the structural mechanical aspect. When you miss teeth, particularly molars, and they're not touching because you're missing two upper molars more specifically, then something happens with the proprioception with the brain. Do you believe that it's very important to make sure that you keep your teeth as best you can, have the best implants as best your system can tolerate so that you don't have the missing teeth leading to maladaption of your brain?
1: I think it is. Um, I I think that's very important. It's one one area that gets overlooked, um, especially in the traditional medical model, because we don't think much about... Electrical components, and we don't think much about um, those well, we forget we forget that this body is incredibly well integrated, and in what happens in one area of the body it does not just stay there, it impacts the entire body mm-hmm. and so and so, um I think it's great to replace teeth when possible the The one time when, for example. We have to weigh, as as Lane mentioned, we have to weigh these uh, our options patient by patient because we wouldn't we would not suggest that a patient even have a zirconia implant if they have uh, really an active autoimmune condition. We've we uh, we just don't want to challenge the immune system in that way. But if that's the case. Um, we might suggest that the patient have some sort of a removable uh appliance so that at least their opposing teeth make contact. Um, I would say that um I would say that if I were if I were um if I had a degenerative disease, I wouldn't want to challenge my, my uh body with with um even a zirconia implant. I think we have to be very, very careful about that. And um, even though even though we know that teeth are designed to meet one another and we need them for function, I think there are ways that we can get a, around that without challenging the immune system.
0: Good point. You know, we talk about challenges of the immune system. And one area that we haven't discussed, which I just want to plunge into is the whole concept of amalgams. Now, years ago, they used to talk about the importance of getting the mercury amalgams replaced with something that was a composite or a plastic material. Is that still something that you feel is very important for people? Should everybody be looking at replacing mercury-based amalgams? And if so, what would be the desirable material to replace them with?
2: I think we would definitely agree that um, we will always recommend that people be considering replacing those mercury amalgam fillings because they, they are minimum amount of mercury in them is 50%. And for the life of those fillings, whether they're two years old or 50 years old, they're continuing to outgas and, and give your body a daily dose of, uh, of mercury. So that would definitely be something we would, I think we'll always <laughs> recommend that people, look at once again um everybody is, re- reacts to mercury a little differently and how their body holds on to it or, or gets rid of it but you can't get around the fact that it's a it's a toxic material sitting in your mouth and so as far as replacement goes um a lot of times you know if we have a patient that is very reactive or their immune system is quite fragile we're going to want to check Uh, for a material that would uh, be specifically appropriate for them with a a biocompatibility test. We additionally have some patients that also take that a step further with some muscle testing. And I would say the materials that we keep on hand that we use um, probably 99% of the time always show up as compatible on those uh, biocompatibility tests. And so that's why we we use them uh, even on patients that don't have a test. Uh, and, but occasionally we'll run across a patient who needs uh, requires a different filling material, which we happily can uh, can get for them and use. Sometimes it's also appropriate to do, uh, you know, a, if it's very large mercury filling, we sometimes have to do an inlay or an onlay or a crown, and those are usually materials that are ceramics, um, like like a zirconia type material um, that would be used to keep the tooth uh, maintain the tooth properly if it's too big for just a simple filling.
1: And Anne Louise, just literally um, two hours ago, I had a patient um, in the chair who I was checking. We did her dentistry yesterday. We re- removed her mercury fillings and I think a root canal tooth or two and her uh, cleaned out her cavitated areas. And her husband was sitting in the corner. He said, now, what happened? What happened to that mercury filling material yesterday when it left her mouth? Mm. I said, well, I said, well, <laughs> The big pieces that we that we captured because we try to take them out in chunks. I said, well, that all went into a sealed container, and then, well, so at the end of the month, uh, someone with a hazmat license comes and picks that up. I said, the rest of it went into our vacuum sister, uh, system, and we have um, we have mercury scavengers in there to protect that from getting into our public water system. And he sat there absolutely stunned. He said he said, Now do you mean he said, Now you could have put mercury in her teeth yesterday, couldn't you? I said, Absolutely. I could have and the guy said, Now all the scrap mercury that didn't go in her teeth would have had to go into a, a jar that has met hauled off. But and he he absolutely sat there, he almost fell out of his chair. I said, Now listen, if that stuns you, think about this. It hasn't been until just this year that it 's mandated for all de- dentists finally to put um, mercury scavengers on their vacuum systems so that we 're not polluting our public waterways
0: unbelievable and
1: and yet and yet and Louise, the most bizarre thing to me in all of medicine and dentistry is that we would still be allowed to place a mercury filling today and have the blessings of the American Dental Association. I don't I don't get it.
0: I don't I don't get it either, but it isn't just mercury that's in the mercury fillings. Aren't there other toxic minerals or metals as, as it were that can also contaminate the system?
1: Well, of course, there's tin, zinc, copper and uh, silver. And there there's typically five metals in the mixture. But mercury, you know, outpaces virtually every other mineral on the planet except plut- plutonium in terms of toxicity. So that's that's the biggest offender.
0: Well, I'll tell you something interesting. When I got my mercury fillings replaced many, many moons ago in, in Connecticut with, a, with a, a rather biologically oriented dentist, he put in some sort of new amalgam. This was after, I think it was in the 80s when I first did it. And it had a high copper. Uh, it was a high copper-based amalgam. I became extremely hyperactive. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's something about the mercury which, in in a way, somehow augments the, the toxic overload of the mercu- of the of the copper, especially with a sensitive nervous system as I have. So none of it is good for any of us, and that's why what you're doing is such so important. I think that people don't realize that your mouth is the gateway to your overall body's health, and making sure that it's as clean as possible under the fillings, over the fillings, and the material of the fillings is exceedingly helpful. And that just leads me to the whole concept of braces. Is that something that you do in your practice?
2: Uh, we do not. We don't uh, provide that service. Um, first of all, we feel like that really, um, you know, is should be handled with a with a specialist, anyway, just because of the intricacies of moving those teeth and the jaws and, and everything. Um, so we don't we don't do that. Uh, you know, once again, and unfortunately, in in orthodontics, um, they're a little more limited in many of their materials, and so they still have quite a bit of, of you know, their materials that contain nickel. So that would be our biggest hesitancy with braces. Um, Obviously, there are some options. There's many options now that, you know, are non-metal orthodontic uh, ways to move teeth, like the Invisalign type of retainers that move teeth and don't contain any metal. And and sometimes that's appropriate for a patient. Um, There are some dentists, some orthodontists who really use that almost exclusively trying to avoid metal, especially on sensitive patients. Um, And then they, they occasionally can find materials that don't contain nickel. And they usually explain to the patient, uh, if you have a, an orthodontist that's open to having that discussion, and they'll usually explain to the patients the pros and cons um, of what those different materials can do.
0: So that's very interesting. Uh, You you know, I I know a little bit about Dr. Nunnally's history, but apparently you were a rather traditional dentist, Dr. Nunnally, before you um, got enlightened, so to speak, and became an integrative (laughs) biological, biological specialist in dental medicine. Can you just tell our listeners what was the turning point in your life?
1: Sure. I was just talking to one of my staff members about this because it was one of the bleakest Times in my life, it was a terribly sad time. Um, it, years ago, I began to have neuromuscular issues. I had not, uh, I had been uh, seemingly bulletproof. I hadn't had, a, a missed a day of practice in 22 years, and all of a sudden, I began to uh, have neuromuscular issues, especially on my left side. Lots of weakness, and then fasciculating muscles, which are, means a twitching muscle that you can see. And that increased to the point of uh, literally every muscle in my body was fasciculating from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. And that um, was incredibly fatiguing. And uh, finally, my neurologist uh, referred me to an ALS specialist in Houston. And and I was convinced that I had ALS. I really, I I did not have ALS. I did not get an ALS diagnosis, but what I uh, what I had was a toxicity issue, probably uh, primarily uh, from mercury. I had been work, I hadn't put a mercury filling in in 20 years, but I had been removing them quite aggressively, and um, and uh, not taking proper precautions for myself or my staff, and so I sat in a little fog of mercury vapor for years, and finally it overwhelmed me, and uh, so. Um It took several years to recover three and a half about before I could jog again and uh but here I am back and louise i'm so actually i'm incredibly grateful that for that whole experience because uh you know when you live a life that's uh where you're where you're so healthy you're you're it's hard for you to be empathetic toward those who are not and finally, you know I have this new perspective for people who with environmental illness, and um, all sorts of autoimmune issues, and of course cancer, uh, a, a new awareness and a new empathy for them that I never would have had had I not gone through what I did, and uh, so it's it's uh, so oftentimes we see this. I was primarily a, a cosmetic dentist and a, and a restorative dentist, and And that still is a wonderful thing. It still plays a huge part in our practice because we want things to be cosmetic. We want them to be Mm -hmm. pretty, but Mm -hmm. we just now want to make sure that we want to make sure that we're using biocompatible materials.
0: That that makes such good sense. Well, wouldn't Mm. you say that one of the most important things that people can do as they get older is to make sure that they have these, is it a 3D cone beam x-ray on a regular basis?
1: You know, I think that can be very, very helpful. Dr. Freeman and I—we've, we're on our second cone beam. We've, we're huge fans of it. Um, I would say, Lane, would you? What? Uh, can you imagine practicing without a cone beam anymore?
2: I really can't. Uh, it gives us so much information. It allows us to show the patients so much more. But it really allows us to have a better picture of what's going on instead of just kind of. Uh, even with a really great two-dimensional x-ray, now that I know what I can compare it to, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm having to, to guess a little bit more when it comes to infections in the jawbone. Uh, definitely, they have their place, but a 3D x-ray, as far as the health of the uh, roots and the overall jawbone, it, it's just invaluable.
0: Very, very good. So when people need to find a integrative biological dentist, People can locate you. Tell us, I know you're in Texas. Would you like to tell the listening audience exactly where in Texas and repeat your website once again?
2: Yes. So we are in Marble Falls, Texas, which is a fairly small town um, on a chain of lakes. And we're west of Austin and just about directly north of San Antonio. Uh, Austin's about an hour away and San Antonio about an hour and a half. Um, so we're we're right in the middle of the beautiful hill country. We're not where you would normally imagine to find a state-of-the-art dental practice, uh, but we feel like being outside the, the big city is definitely works to our advantage out here. And then all of that information is for and even a map of our location is found on our website, which is HealthySmilesForLife.com. Nothing's abbreviated, just the way it sounds. HealthySmilesForLife.com. And there's a lot of inform- interesting information that patients can, can gather as, as they are looking for answers uh, right there on the website.
0: And as we start to round up and close out on this particular episode of First Lady of Nutrition, can you give us some takeaways? What, what are the top three things that people should do when it comes to their teeth and oral health?
1: I'll give you one and Lane can go number two and I'll wrap it up. (laughs) Here's what I would do. Number one, I would seek out a biological dentist and I would do that in one of two, well, two ways. One, I would go to the iaomt.org website. That's the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology website. And I would try to, um, I would push, punch in, um my own locale into that website or state, and then you can you can search through the, the directory and there you'll see um dentists who have been trained in a very integrative um, biological approach that would be one thing and then when I found one that I thought I might want to go see i would I would go interview the dentist and here's the things I would ask him I would say, do you have Hey, uh, do you have a mercury trap on your vacuum system so that the mercury that you take out doesn't go into our public waterway? I would ask that question. I would ask the question. I said, Do you do? Do you use uh, like a mercury vapor respirator when you remove mercury? Do you and your staff use that? Do you use a rubber dam on the patient when you remove mercury? Do you do you protect the patient? And if the if the if the dentist answered affirmatively to those questions i would say you know what i think i found me a good dentist here so <laughs> that that that's that's my first uh, tidbit of advice
2: Okay, number two, will just, just follow right up with that. So um, I think it's very important that people see a dentist, of course, on a regular basis, because a lot of times we can catch things before they start to hurt or before they are a problem. Um, not always, but, but many times we can. So seeing somebody on a regular basis, and then when they do find something, um, not being afraid to ask questions. It's your mouth. I always tell patients they almost apologize sometimes for asking questions, which you shouldn't. You should ask questions about why a certain treatments is recommended, or um, if there's any alternatives, or if there's any research um, pros and cons behind a certain certain treatment. So definitely that would be my number two takeaway.
1: And I think number three, just uh, for every listener, one of the things that we've found most effective for our patient base over the years is the use of a simple water pick. A water pick with about an ounce of hydrogen peroxide in the water bath, along with seven or eight ounces of water. Using that once a day can be a huge, huge asset to the patient, to gum and and uh, tissue health. We, we would highly recommend it.
0: Oh, wonderful. Now, I'm, you've, you've mentioned some things that I'm gonna add to my own dental repertoire. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope that I get to see you sometime soon with, a, with my new implants, and it's going to be a pleasure mm-hmm. to, make, to be with you again in beautiful Marble Falls, Texas, and I wish you all the best. You've been just wonderful guests. I thank you from the bottom of my heart.
2: Thank you so much, Ann Louise.
1: It was a joy to be with you, Ann Louise. Look forward to seeing you soon.
2: You betcha.